It's a generally held truth that most of the important things in life are obvious and easy to understand. You need to sleep. You need to eat. You need to respect your mama. And you need to work hard. The important things in life are easy to understand. They are patently obvious. Maybe that's part of the reason why Twitter's so popular. If it can't be expressed in 280 characters or less, maybe it's not worth knowing. What's really worth knowing and what we really need to understand is obvious, right? As I've reflected on this text for this morning, that assumption is wrong. The most important thing in the world for us to know is actually not obvious at all. In fact, Not only is it not obvious, it is impossible for us to know unless God himself reveals it to us. This morning we're going to be talking about the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. What is it? Who can know it? How should you respond? I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 Verse 6, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians. As you turn there, let me just get you back into the rhythm with a little bit of context. If you haven't been with us the last several weeks, I just kind of want to fill you in. Paul has been knocking wisdom pretty hard. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, 117. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? 120. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 2, 1, 4, and 5. Is Paul against wisdom? Not at all. That's why he writes what he writes this morning. Read with me our text, beginning in chapter 2, verse 6. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this, not in words taught by human wisdom, but taught in the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. 
For the spiritual person judges all things, but himself is judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's begin by asking, what is wisdom? Verse 6 says, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. So Paul, to be clear, is not against wisdom at all. He is for it. But what is it? It's the gospel. Context tells us. 122. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but those, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So the wisdom of God is Jesus Christ, specifically the message of the cross. It's a stumbling block to Jews. It's folly to the Gentiles. But in truth, brothers and sisters, it's the wisdom of God. God's wisdom is encapsulated in sending his son to die for sinners, to rise again and give eternal life to all who repent and believe. That's wisdom. So it turns out wisdom isn't a master's degree or a Ph.D., Turns out wisdom isn't advanced knowledge. Turns out wisdom is gospel knowledge received by faith and lived out by faith. And so note to self at the very beginning, if you think of the gospel as merely the door you enter in to be saved and then it passes into the rear view of the Christian life, you are not in step with the Apostle Paul. He says in chapter 1, verse 18, that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Being saved is present tense. Being saved is us, the church, the Corinthian church, Redeeming Grace Church. We are being saved, increasingly being saved from the power and the presence of sin to us. What's power? Not advanced knowledge gone past the gospel. Deeper knowledge in the gospel is the wisdom of God. What is the wisdom of God? It's the gospel. And it is received by the mature. Well, we need to ask, who are the mature? You probably think it's very simple. Well, the mature are mature believers. Like you've got all believers, and then you've got mature or spiritual believers. But that's actually not what mature means here. Now, To be sure, there is such a thing as an immature believer. There is such a thing as a mature believer. And Paul is going to work that territory soon. Come back in a couple of weeks to be made uncomfortable. But context makes it clear. Mature are simply all believers. The mature are those who are saved, 118. The mature are those who are called. 124. The mature are spiritual because they have the Spirit. Chapter 2, verse 13. Chapter 2, verse 15. Now, now we need to ask, well then, well, why would Paul call all Christians mature here? Surely he knows this could be misinterpreted by dunces like us. Why not just say, yet among Christians we impart wisdom? I think it's a subtle whack 
at the Corinthians' pride because they thought they were mature. They thought they were advanced. They thought Paul was honestly not very impressive and his gospel, well, a little simple. So Paul is saying to them again, (laughs) I think it's his favorite phrase, you're not that special, okay? Every Christian turns out is mature in that every Christian has embraced the wisdom of God bound up in the cross, okay? So this wisdom is the gospel. It's imparted to the mature, and this wisdom is also not of this world. It is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Again, the Corinthians, so so taken up with false notions of wisdom, so taken up with fads of the day, Paul says, that's not the wisdom of God. God's wisdom is not what influencers pump out on media outlets. God's wisdom is not what professors pump out of academia. Paul says all of that is doomed to pass away. All of that, at best, is nothing more than a snap on Snapchat. It grabs the attention for a moment and then it's gone. Boy, that's humbling. We know some incredible things. But if what we know isn't in keeping with Christ and Him crucified, then it's doomed to pass away. Because the wisdom of God is eternal. And the wisdom of God must also be revealed. Paul says something very interesting. He says, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Follow me. We already know what the wisdom is. It's the gospel. Paul says here then that the gospel is a secret and hidden thing. What does he mean by that? Two truths to understand. Number one, the gospel was shrouded in mystery in the Old Testament. Yes, it's there Yes, the whole Old Testament points us to Christ. Yes, when we preach it. Yes, when you read it, you need to understand it in the light of Christ. Yes, it's there, but it's there in types and shadows. And so Paul says in Romans 16, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed And through the prophetic writings has been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God. This verse is very similar to this text. The gospel was kept secret for long ages, but according to the eternal decree of our sovereign God, he ordained the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the proclamation of that message and all that it accomplished happen exactly when and how it did. So there's a redemptive historical sense to the gospel hidden and revealed. That's number one. But number two, and actually more to the point of where this text goes, there is a personal sense to the gospel hidden and revealed. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Focus on that our word. 
That's believers. God has decreed not only to reveal the gospel at a certain time in the course of world history, big picture. He has decreed to reveal the gospel to you at a certain time, at a certain time in the course of your history and for your glory. Brothers and sisters, every once in a while, when I read my Bible, I have to just sit back and I have to stop and I just have to take it in. The message here is Corinthian church, redeeming grace church. Why have you embraced the gospel? Why are you among the mature who understand the wisdom of God? It's because God before the ages decreed to reveal himself to you personally. What's the point? The point is that the gospel must be revealed. Not only big picture, it must be revealed to you. Because human ingenuity and human wisdom isn't sufficient to know God. That's why none of the rulers of this age understood it. Verse 8. The rulers of this age are the Jewish and Roman authorities. So despite all of their knowledge and all of their savvy and even for the Jews, all of their religious knowledge, they didn't know the wisdom of God. If they did, of course, they wouldn't have crucified Christ. But as it is written, what no eye has seen and what no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. That's a quote, of course, from Isaiah 64 and 65. Now, if you've heard that before, it's probably been at a funeral, okay? No eye has seen and no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. That's a good thought. And that's a biblical thought as far as it goes. It is, but it's not the point of this reference. The point of this reference is that the wise, in context, the Roman and Jewish authorities, the wise here, but more broadly, the wise and influential in any day, the wise don't know what God has in store for those who love him. They don't see it. They see a lot of things, how to be successful, Cures for cancer, smart and benevolent public policy, technological advances to extend and increase the quality of life, the need to be honest and hardworking and moral. They can see many, many things, but they do not see the most important thing in the universe. Jesus Christ crucified and risen. Now, clarification. They may see it in some sense. And if you're here as a non-Christian, you may see it in some sense. Listen to me. You may be able to articulate the gospel. They may be able to articulate the gospel, but they don't really see it. When they look at the cross, they don't see the justice of God. That our sin is so heinous, it rightly deserves death. They don't see the mercy of God. That God poured out his wrath on Jesus instead of us. They don't see the love of God. That this was his plan. His initiative. They don't see the riches of God. That through the cross God gives us more than we could ask or think. They don't see any of this to the cross. or To them, the cross is nothing more than like the marketing logo of the Christian faith. Okay. <laughs> So question, 
how did we come to see it? It had to be revealed. How was it revealed? Well, that's where Paul goes next. Read 10 through 13 with me. These things God has revealed to us through his spirit, through the spirit. For the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except for the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this not in words taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. How did God reveal his gospel to you? By the Spirit. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. This is a good time to remind you that we serve a Trinitarian God. We serve one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Deuteronomy 6.4 You believe that God is one, you do well. James 2.19. Christians are monotheists. There are not many gods. Polytheism. There is one God. Monotheism. There is only one God, and he is the creator and ruler over all, and we praised him this morning in prayer. But our Bible also teaches us that this one God exists eternally in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we serve one God, and this one God exists eternally in three persons. And as we think about the cross, we see all three of them at work. The cross was planned by the Father, accomplished by the Son, and applied by the Spirit. These things God revealed to us through the Spirit. And the Spirit can do this because he knows the deep things of God. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except for the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So Paul gives us this analogy so that we can understand these deep things. The only person that can really know a person's thoughts is that person himself. Namely his spirit. I don't know if you've ever... Read Proverbs twenty twenty seven. It says, The spirit of a man searches all his innermost thoughts. You're the only person that really knows what you're thinking. I wish I could understand my wife's thoughts. And I know you do too, man. So too, the only one who can know God's thoughts is God himself, namely his spirit. By the way, this is a powerful argument against the lie that the Holy Spirit is just a force or a, or a thing. It, it's a powerful argument against that because forces and things don't know. Only a person knows. So indeed, the third person of the Trinity is a person and he knows the deep things of God, which is why we can know them because get a load of this, he indwells in us. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So here's the bottom line. The reason you know the gospel is because the spirit of God has personally come to you and opened your eyes to its beauty and its truth. If you're a Christian, 
The reason is because at some point in the midst of the fourth or the 40th or the 400th time you heard the gospel, the Spirit of God moved, broke down your pride, opened your eyes, and showed you Jesus. And that's why you repented and believed. Not only did God plan redemption, not only did God send Jesus to accomplish redemption, he sent his spirit to reveal to you personally in time the things freely given to you by God. I just want to stop and go home right now. But there's more. And by the Spirit, you also speak. The Spirit is given so that you might know the gospel. And the Spirit is given that you might speak the gospel. In 13, Paul says, We speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now, that last phrase, to use a technical term, is whack. Um, that wasn't a technical term. I'm just making sure you're with me. Um, that last phrase is hard to understand. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Different translations translate the original there in different ways. I think it's best to remember the big idea before we take a whack at this verse. The big idea is that Paul, and by extension all Christians, speak the wisdom of God. The Spirit must reveal God's wisdom, ultimately, that's true. But the Spirit doesn't reveal it through mystical experiences. He reveals it through words that we speak. And so this phrase has to do with how we speak, how we minister. And so the question then becomes, well, how do we minister? I think it's like this. Think about Paul. How did he minister? Paul did not minister by preaching and teaching with words motivated and driven by the wisdom of the world. He specifically says, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, 2-4. In other words, he didn't take his cues for evangelism and preaching from the world. The world in his day would have said, Paul, it has to be fancy rhetorical preaching marked by wise and persuasive words if you want for it to be communicated. And Paul said, no. It has to be preaching and teaching centered on the cross. Think about the world in our day. The world in our day says, BJ, it has to be preaching and teaching that focuses on felt needs. BJ, it has to be preaching and teaching that avoids heady theology. It has to be preaching and teaching that makes people feel fulfilled. It has to be preaching and teaching that avoids sharp topics like the wrath of God. But like Paul, we say, no. It has to be preaching and teaching centered on the cross. We want to minister spirit-filled words, not wisdom of the world-filled words. And so to quote D.A. Carson, we want to use, quote, plain and clear and forceful and truthful and frank and compassionate and compelling cross-centered words as we minister. And you know why it's so important to speak like this? You know why it's so important that the words that come out of our mouths be ever so cross-centered? 
because that's what the Spirit uses to open blind eyes. Listen, the Spirit has to personally reveal Jesus to the unbelieving. He has to personally open blind eyes, convict hard hearts, break down pride that sees me as the main thing instead of God as the main thing. And how does he do this? Through the preaching of the cross. He does this as we, brothers, sisters, Christians, as we continue to highlight through conversations, through sermons, through evangelistic Bible studies, the great truths of the gospel. God's glory and his greatness and our sin and our deserving damnation and Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, repentance, and faith. That's how he grants life. And our next little section is going to just, it's going to foot stomp everything he's been saying. Everything he's been saying already is that this has to be revealed. And what he's going to say now is, well, let me just foot stomp why it has to be revealed. It has to be revealed because of this. Because the natural man is blind. Verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So here's the deal. The natural man, which just means the person without the Spirit, which just means the non-Christian, he does not accept the things of God. Why? Because they're folly to him. Their foolishness to him. More than that, he, he is not, look at the word, he, he is not even able to understand them. Man in his natural state is absolutely unable to respond savingly to the gospel. And, and this is why sometimes you may go through an evangelistic Bible study with a friend. And, and they can articulate the truths of the gospel, but, but, but something holds them back. Maybe it's an intellectual hang-up. Maybe there's some sin that they don't want to let go of and leave behind. Maybe they just don't find it compelling. Maybe they don't even know what they're thinking. Regardless of whatever is going on on the surface, what's going on beneath is that the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. And he is not able to understand them. The Spirit must do a work. He does that work through our preaching and our persuading And are calling for a response. But he must do that work. He must regenerate. Big theological word. But it just means that he is the one who actually opens the eyes of the heart to see. To really see. Jesus. And in response to his work of regeneration. There is repentance and faith. This is why parents listen to me. Parents, this is why you aren't ultimately able to save your kids no matter how much you desire to. And listen to me, all of you. This is why you aren't able to save your parents no matter how much you desire to. Because the wisdom of God has to be revealed. Now look at verse 15. The spiritual person judges all things but is himself judged by no one. Boy, that's a confusing text. 
Here's what he's saying. Remember, just remember, this whole text is about the wisdom of God. When God's Spirit reveals Jesus to a sinner and that sinner becomes a Christian, he is in a position to judge all things. Now, don't think judge like look down on or criticize. Instead, think judge like estimate or understand. Like a judge in a courtroom estimates or understands how the law is to be applied in the court. The Christian can understand all things. Not all things like calculus, though that would have been very helpful to me at one point in time. All things like this. Here's how one commentator put it. The unbeliever cannot understand holiness, but the holy person can well understand the depths of evil. Those whose lives are invaded by the Spirit of God can discern all things, including those without the Spirit. But the reverse is not possible. In short, what this verse is saying is that, brothers and sisters, we we understand both light and darkness. We understand, understand spiritual life and light and holiness, and we can understand spiritual darkness and bondage and death and blindness because we've been there. But the unbeliever cannot do the same. The unbeliever does not understand us. He does not understand our perspective or our insight. But of course, it's not as though we can take credit for this. The only reason we see it is because we have the mind of Christ. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. The only reason why we understand, the only reason why we have sight, is because the Spirit has revealed Jesus to us. We have repented and believed, and thus we've been given the mind of Christ. True and real understanding of the most important thing in the world. God and his gospel. So I began this morning by talking about our assumption that the most important things in this world are patently obvious. I hope it's clear that that assumption is wrong. The most important thing in the world is something that must be revealed to you. And Christian, just stop for just a second and let the fresh wind of that breeze blow over you. That that has happened to you. You know. You really know. God. Can I suggest to you that that should have a profound impact on you this morning? It should make you happy. (laughs) You know God. Is there anything more incredible than that? No. That should make you happy. It's unbelievable. And it should make you humble. You know God because God has revealed himself to you. You did not figure out God. You are not more humble 
and your friends and thus saw your sin and the need to repent, God revealed himself to you and he humbled you and he moved in you and God worked in you and God saved you. And it should make you hungry. Hungry to know God more. What man or what woman, or what man loves a woman, asks her to marry him, she says yes, receives her as his wife, and then he wants to stop learning about this creature. No sane man, I would tell you. So too, Christian, you should be hungry to know more of God's wisdom and God's ways. Consider this. We are never going to stop learning more about God and his glory throughout all of eternity. I want to encourage you to get a jump start on it now. This truth that you know God should make you hungry to know God more. It should make you happy. It should make you humble. It should make you hungry. And I would also say that it should make you think differently about the lost. It should make you have a posture towards them that's gracious and burdened. It should make you be prayerful that God would do a good work in them. It should make you one who wants to be the means God uses to do that work in him through conversation, through Bible study, through reading and reflection, through bringing them to church. It should make you want to proclaim. And it should make you want to be persevering because who knows when the Lord's going to turn the lights on. It may be the fourth time they hear the gospel, the 40th time they hear the gospel, the 400th time they heard the gospel, but it's going to be through hearing the gospel and it should make you want to pray and speak and persevere. And finally, let me just say a word to any of you here this morning who aren't a Christian. Do you want to know God? You cannot figure God out. He has to reveal himself to you. God must do a work in you. And that may sound intimidating or scary, but let me just tell you, it's actually freeing. Let me encourage you, just pray for him to do the work. Pray for him to work in your heart, to shine in your heart the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you might know him. But remember, friend, God uses means. He uses the gospel and he's using those means even right now. You're hearing this offer now. Don't respond to this offer of the gospel which says to you this morning, Should you choose to accept it, you can be forgiven and freed from your sin and have life. You can turn from your sin. You can trust in Jesus. That is an offer for you right now. You could respond to what's been said this morning by your own wisdom, which might lead you to pause and not come because after all, it's God who has to do it. So there's some lightning bolt that has to come down and strike me somehow. No. Listen to the revealed wisdom of God, which just says this. Is this you? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Don't respond with your own wisdom that says, I'm going to wait for God to do something. Respond to God's wisdom that says, come. 
Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says this, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Do you want to look at the Son today and have life today? You can. And he says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Do you want to be saved? then come to God through his son, Jesus Christ. And there's no reason not to come right now. Place your trust in Jesus Christ and you will be forgiven and have life. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a speaking God that you have spoken and created all things and you continue to speak and create life through your gospel. Continue, Father, to speak to us and sustain us and make us a happy, humble, and hungry people. In Jesus' name, amen.